I'm Dean Jackson. He's Joe Polish. And this is the I Love Marketing Podcast. This is Joe Polish, and I'm going to be interviewing a very interesting guy by the name of Anthony Amos. He's a multi-founding franchiser, serial entrepreneur, author, professional keynote speaker, partnership expert, creator and inventor, and an angel investor who, along with his team, helped revolutionize the dog grooming industry by designing and creating a fiberglass mobile grooming salon in the shape of a big blue dog called Hydrodog. With over 200 franchises to date, Hydrodog became the first of its kind to be in every state and territory of Australia, making Anthony one of Australia's youngest millionaires at age 28. So, Anthony, great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we were introduced by our good buddy, uh, Kevin Harrington, and I was totally fascinated when I first heard with what you were doing. More so, like, the business that you're doing is very interesting, but more so is you. You're, you're quite a character. And you're oh, quite thanks. a driven guy, and I think it's pretty cool. And so, throughout this interview, people are going to see uh, what this is, because we've got some footage uh, and, and you might be looking at that right now, describing kind of what it is you do. But for people that don't know who you are, how would you describe yourself? Like, who is Anthony Amos? Um, a lunatic, would that be fair to say? <laughs> I mean, I'm... And yeah, yeah, you can look around. By the way, I'll, uh, you won't see this on camera, but Anthony's uh, wife and three children are here watching. So you might hear some noise in the background, maybe some chuckles. We'll see if they agree with everything you say or not. But. All right. Um, I, I guess if you wanted me to... Um, to start from, I guess, a sensible beginning, which is um, what my career I thought was going to be. Coming out of uh, high school, I was a professional footballer pretty much at the age of 19. So I went straight from school straight into professional football. Yeah. And after two years, I started to realise that I still love the game, I still love the competitive edge, I love playing with my mates, but there was that strict being told what to do by now professional coaches, whereas back at school, it was just your coach and everyone got on really well. Right. Now the professional side was, ah, I don't really like being told what to do. That's when I, I 100% knew I was an entrepreneur. It's, been, it's hard being told what to do when you're an entrepreneur. So in my downtime, um, we, my brother and I actually uh, wanted to go into business for a long time together, just on the side to sort of make some money. Yep. And I came up with this idea of actually washing dogs. And how that came about was um, there was a fiberglass... Um, Hydra bath that you could actually wash a dog. It's like so. It's like a bath, but it's a shower head, and the shower rose washes the dog's hair. So there was a second-hand trailer in my backyard. We got this $1,400 Hydra bath, put it on the back of the trailer, uh, went and rented a mobile phone. So this was in '94. Uh, okay. Rented a mobile phone, put an ad in the paper on Friday, and waiting for the phone to ring on Saturday. On the Friday, we rang everybody we knew. We had our phone for the first time. We're ringing our dad and our cousins, and we got no wires around the phone, so it was really exciting. Yeah, you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Unbelievable. So nobody rang us, so we didn't know what the phone sounded like. So Saturday morning came around, and the phone rang, and, and the person I was with at the time, sorry, sweetie, over there, but um, so she, <laughs> the phone rang, and I went, oh my God, it's the fire alarm. She said, you idiots, the phone is the new phone that you've got. So I answered the phone, oh, hi, dog, Anthony's speaking. Yes, I just saw it out in the paper, wondering if we could wash my dog. I said, oh yes, of course I can. So she gave me the address right out, $10, mind you, we're charging $10 to wash the dog. Right. So I rang my brother and said, mate, you're not going to believe it. we've got our first customer. Oh, my God, what are they doing? I said, they rang on the phone. I've just booked them in. So I went from my house to his house. It took about 30 minutes. By the time I got there, we had nine dogs booked in. 
I said, mate, I had uh, eight phone calls on the way. Now we've got nine dogs. I said, quick, grab the shampoo, chuck it in the back and let's go. So he chucks the shampoo on the back of the dog. We get to our first customer and he put dishwashing liquid in the back of a dog bath instead of the dog shampoo. Oh, so he's God. gone, he's put in the dishwashing liquid. He said, what do, you, what do we do? I said, well, they don't know that it's not dog washing stuff. Let's just wash the dog. So our first nine dogs starting this company were washed in dishwashing liquid. Really? So that's, how, that's how the whole thing started. We had no idea how to run a business. Nothing. Well, if, yeah, if anyone really knew everything that went down when you first started to figure out how to do it. Well, okay, so we're, we're kind of in similar things because I actually sold my carpet cleaning company in 1994 and started my, my marketing company teaching carpet cleaners how to market themselves. So I remember that period of time really well. When I got my first mobile phone, it was like a giant brick. <laughs> it was this huge thing. Um, so how did you decide that was a good idea? I mean, can you even remember back then? Because that just seems sort of like a strange thing. I... You know, did you, were you an animal lover? Or oh, I, well, I wanted to be a vet. When, at school, you know, when you say, oh, what do you want to do when you get older? I want to be a vet. Well, my great, I was playing football and I really, I didn't like school. I mean, I love school kids. I love school a lot. I really did. But <laughs> <laughs> damn, it slipped out. Um, but yeah, I just, I didn't fit in with the, the rhetoric of school. You know, the te- I got on really great with the school teachers and I got through school because I was really good at football and had great relationships with my teachers. So yeah. um, I, I guess it was just one of those things where, I've always been good with people and booking people. My brother would pretty much do the washing of the dogs and I'd go and I'd be talking to the customer and getting them to book in for the following week. So I guess there was always something there, but when the relationship started, that's when it really worked. Well, so here's the thing, because you, you having built out franchises and this is kind of what you're doing now, there's the technician, you know, the person that does the actual work, especially in a service business, and there's the, the visionary, the person that comes up with this idea and, how do we replicate it? So clearly my perspective of you is you're this visionary guy and in, in, in washing dogs just happens to be the service provided, but it's right. the whole business around that because just washing dogs in and of itself does not make somebody a millionaire. No. Learning how to develop a business and package it around that does. And so since the vast majority of people that are listening to this or watching the video version of this, if, if you are listening to the audio on the podcast, we do have a video version of this too. Um, I mean, I would like to speak to some of those people because those are the ones that typically listen to, to my stuff. Right. And then they want to, you know, they're either already in business, they want to start their own business, they're looking for different key insights and things. And, and I don't think about just, oh, how do we help entrepreneurs market or how do we build businesses? I try to think, how do we build a better entrepreneur, which has to do with their health, it has to do with their oh, family, it has to do with you know, the value creation behind what it is that they're doing. So there's a, a lot of layers uh, to what it is that you're doing. It's, it's one thing about washing dogs, but you've got causes, you know, the idea from you, it started with your son Austin about saving dogs' lives. So I, I kind of want to go into all of that. But first I want to ask you, you know, what's your philosophy when it comes to, to family and business? Since you're traveling around the United States in an RV in 200 square feet, uh, you know, I mean, so uh, how do you think about this? Um, I've, the transition from Australia to America was just mind-blowing because we, we, we all speak English, but our cultures are so different. And, and I I'd often do things, I'm going to tell you a very funny story that's actually in the book that I've just written. Um, I always do the cultures are colliding, and the, and the colliding of the cultures is always, I tend to get away with a lot of things because of the Australian way. It's not, nothing's ever intentional, it's just who we are. Right. And the Americans are a little bit more serious than us. We're sort of a little bit more... Um, uh, what's the word? Caref- Americans are Carefree. more serious than 
By, by, yeah. by to what degree? I mean, well, just just by with the rules and regulations of having, like, for example, if somebody wanted to sue you in Australia, you have to put money into a retainer, and you've got to go down a path and, and actually go to a bigger effort to to get someone. But here, they do it on um, pro bono. You just yeah. basically, it's that's the difference. We we know if we've done something wrong, then we're ready for the consequences. But here, you can sort of you know go for somebody over the littlest, tiniest things, and it doesn't cost you a thing to do that. So I guess we've sort of got more of a carefree way of just presenting it. So I, I get, I don't, I'm not explaining myself right, but that's how I sort of feel with the introduction when we first came here. Yeah. But um, the, the best story was, and just to sort of back up a bit, we were very successful very early, and then like everybody in the crash, we crashed as well. So we had to sort of reinvent ourselves. And this time it's now me and my wife. My brother and I separated in our business, and we got together. Well, we were together, but we came to America together. Right. And I remember sitting on the back of... Um, my dad's place, it was the last night, just the five of us were there, it was New Year's, and the fireworks were going off the Harbour Bridge, and it was like, it's New Year's, and Rachel had fallen asleep, and the kids were asleep, and this big gust of wind came through the back door, and I got really emotional thinking, these four guys believe in me to make a new life for us going to America. I had no idea how we were going to do it, zero. I just knew, with hope and faith in my back pocket, and this big blue dog, if I've done it once, I can do it again. Right. And that's pretty much... That when you talk about family, when you when you're on that that edge of life, knowing that everything that you do right now is all to do with their future, it, it's a it's a very impacting moment. And I think that was the the precipice of me growing from a twenty million dollar a twenty million um, population to three hundred sixty five million population. So I had to put my big boy pants on and come over here and sort of start from the ground level. Whereas I was a big fish in a small pond, and now I don't I don't even know what I was when I came here. But there was but it was very, very challenging to sort of make that decision. But once I made it, I think that's when the family value system I really appreciated more than you can believe. Well, in the entrepreneurial culture in America, from your perspective, compared to Australia, how do they differ? Oh, so different. Um, and I probably might get a little bit of slack about this, but we have what's called the tall poppy syndrome in Australia. So the tall poppy is, you know, the, the heroin, you cut the top off, and now the stem's worth nothing anymore. Uh -huh. But so I'll give you a really good example. Playing local football like it did, Everyone was great because we're all like on the same level. But as I started escalating business, I was now separating myself away from where we all were collectively together. But everybody wanted me sort of back at that level. So they'd sort of try and, you know, tear apart, I guess, your growth. Just, just be, come back and be just like us. Don't be up there and yeah. be, you know, anywhere else. But here in America, oh, my God, everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Looks at, entre looks, looks at you and says, I want to be just like Joe. And they go all out to mimic or read or listen and it's, it's a culture of great respect and wanting to aspire to be something different. We we, that's definitely not our culture in Australia, for sure. Interesting, interesting. Okay, yeah, you know, it's been a while since I've been back there, but I, I, I have several hundred service companies that are, have become members of uh, Piranha Marketing wow. in Australia. And so I, I've always thought it was such a cool country. But it's interesting to see because there's, there's so much of that, too. That's, uh, you know, the, the, one of the questions I'm going to ask you, what are some of the mistakes that people, you know, make in, in business? One of the things is the, I think one mistake is not preparing yourself for success. You know, most people don't become successful as entrepreneurs. The vast majority don't. But when you do, you literally will find that you have people that are incredibly supportive of you, and then people that you thought were supportive yes. of you aren't supportive if you're surpassing what they perceive their thing is. Because I don't, I don't know, there's probably many causes to this, but I think it makes them look at their own lack of success or 
oh, you're, you're doing something, and it's bizarre how much people shift. And so one of the things I, I, I think about a lot is that being successful as an entrepreneur is not just being strategic and making st- smart decisions and the, bil- the ability to create value, get paid for it, be a great marketer, communicate what it is you're doing. I think one of the attributes of successful entrepreneurs is a tolerance to all the crap yeah. that exists because you got to have thick skin. I mean, there, there will be a point in time where people that you thought were your allies are really your enemies. They don't want to see you be successful, and they will give you their opinions uh, about what you should or should not do. And so part of it is being able to know what to pay attention to and what to ignore, what's relevant and, and what is irrelevant. Right. So how, how, does, how do you think about, like, how did you go through that transition? Because there's a lot to be learned um, I think the number one thing for me is, and maybe I think a little bit differently than, than others, but when you marry your lifetime partner, they've got to be on board 100% of what your dreams are, or vice versa, whatever it is. But the support that I get, I, I can be me, Joe, every day of the week. I normally swear when I say that, but I, I can be Anthony Amos every day of the week. I don't have... I would be cussing right now if your kids were not in there. Yeah, I, I, I cuss in front of my kids. I'm sorry to say that, but yeah, you know, yeah. we're from Australia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's just one of those things where, yeah, I'm a little bit crazy and I love getting out and, and having a few drinks with guys because it brings out the best in people. If you sort of say a little bit reserved, it's not like off the menu, but it's just uh-huh. really getting other people relaxed and talking more what they would normally do if they didn't just have a couple of beers. But, you know, that's sort of, I mean, the things that we do aren't normal. I mean, we do, we do embarrassing things and we've all got a similar sense of humour and it's a lot of fun, but you can't have that stability if you don't have that support at home because when you walk in those doors and it's open arms, you know, this is great, I know it's a tough day, though, you've got to have that. If you don't have that, then I don't think I could have done it. I really, I really don't. You know, the, the, the classic uh, Think and Grow Rich from, uh, you know, Napoleon Hill, he had his 31 causes of failure and one of them was wrong selection of a mate. Right. And I think when it, when it comes to entrepreneurship, yeah, there, there's a lot to be said of, uh, it's a tough life for someone that is not an entrepreneur, that doesn't get the, the drive and the ambition. And I think uh, entrepreneurs are misunderstood. A lot of people think all they care about is money. And frankly, most of the entrepreneurs that, that, that I hang out with and I know, money is important because you need money in order to run a business. But right. it's not the cause oh. of what it is they're doing. I mean, many I entrepreneurs I know that are very successful honestly don't care all that much about money as long as they have it. Now, if they don't have it, nothing else functions. So it, it, it holds a very important context. But these are people that are dreamers, and they're, they're trying to make stuff up and make it real and, and dream it into being. I mean, when I sit and think about your dog grooming business, I mean, at what point did it occur to you that this is a good idea? I mean, you probably weren't a little kid saying, you know, when I grow up, I want to wash <laughs> no. hundreds of thousands of dogs. You know? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it seems like hard work to me. I don't know if I'd want to wash a single dog. Well, know? it's funny because I, I literally washed dogs day in, day out for um, six or seven years. That funded the company. So yeah. I learned the business from the ground level all the way through to the higher level, like selling our, our master program within 18 months we sold every single state and territory within 18 months that is just unheard of yeah but I think when you learn and grow the business and you know not raising any capital but raising the money through your hard work and pouring it back into the company and living on baked beans but still growing the company that does something to you inside it gives you a real strength of knowing that as you get into the next venture I know what it's like to be like that so when I relate to my franchisees when we start selling franchises 
I've done what you're about to do. I know every angle that you're gonna go through in your business, and I'm gonna be able to help you with those particular decisions. And when we're talking about the partners, the hardest thing when selling a franchise to some of the men um, back in Australia, the wives are like, I don't want my husband to be a dog washer. What? He's not a dog washer, he's an entrepreneur. He's getting out there out of the, um, the rat race and wanting to be a successful person. I don't, and that, that's what I was talking about. But the other husbands that came in the door, how was your day, honey? How many dogs did you do today? Yeah, you broke the record. That difference between, oh, I don't want my husband to be a dog washer. How am I gonna tell my friends my, my husband's a dog washer? That's when you've got to align yourself with the right partner to know that when you do come in the door, they're happy that you did a, one more dog than you did than the day before. Yeah. That's yeah. the type of thing where I'm coming from with that. that that's so true. Look, speaking in my own life of, of, of many relationships that I've gone through, and thankfully I'm, I'm dear friends with most of the, the, <laughs> the relationships I've had in the past. I'm talking intimately. I mean, I, I know I have all kinds of relationships personally and professionally. It is alignment. I mean, you have you, you, if you do not have alignment in any sort of relationship, oh. it's going to be very short-lived. There's going to be a lot of tension. And there still is. I mean, because I'll tell you what I tell people, successful entrepreneurship is really about developing a tolerance to, to stuff. Because the stuff that would have killed me in the very beginning of my business happens on a daily basis today. And I'm like, oh, whatever. You know? So I've built up just a tolerance to nonsense, you know, just like crap that happens. But that's part of the game. Well, it's funny that you use that word because in, in the book I talk about congruency. So the first thing with me is I've got to a point where I just I instantly know whether, whether I'm congruent with somebody, I feel it, or you just have a little bit of a conversation, you go, oh, jeez, that feeling that you, you really like that person, it's congruent. Whatever this value system is, we don't even know what it is. Right. But it feels good. And then when you know it feels good, I like to add as much value as I can first. So if I get in there first and go, not expecting anything other than we could be friends from yep. that point of view or making an effort for our friendship, this is my favourite part. It's, it's, I call it like the triad of, of how it works for me, but... If I've become friends or business partners with that person, like Kevin, and I get out of the bed in the morning and we're about to go and have coffee or lunch, like, I can't wait to go and see this guy. I'm so excited and I right. get all ramped up and, you know, excited. Because when you know that, feels, I actually feel like that coming here today. I feel like so excited. The kids can tell you, like, and this lovely lady, of course, <laughs> how excited we were to get here and, and to be broken down the day before not getting here. And then we thought, well, Wednesday's actually a better day. It just worked out perfect. Right. But, it's that feeling that you get so goddamn excited just to turn up and be in the presence of that person. Yeah. That's when you know you've nailed it. You know, that's when you know you've done it. You know, because I, I used to get all giddy about like going to a rock concert when I was a kid. You know, going to, well, not just rock, but any sort of concert, although um, just the, the sheer excitement. And, and that's what really great business deals, I think, do for yes. entrepreneurs. Oh, my God. Because just like sports, you know, which I never really got into sports. I had a little league coach that, uh, ruined my liking of sports because he would force me to hold a baseball bat in a certain way that I couldn't hit the ball. So it ruined my liking of sports. So it's interesting how influences, uh, you know, affect you uh, growing up. But I see a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they're corporate athletes, you know, which is a term my, my buddy Tony Schwartz says. And they, they, they want to win. I mean, and, and, and winning comes in different things and different levels of excitement. But, you know, part of... Uh, Part of success as an entrepreneur, aside from obviously strategy and a sound business model and the ability to you know, keep, keep your act together, is just uh, massive enthusiasm for oh. what it is you bring to the table. Oh, my God. I, did you speak my language right now because if you, if you strategically put together, I want to be friends with that person to get that, it, ne it never happened. Yeah. I've never been that way anyway, but I just yeah. know my, my brother was very much that way inclined, and that's how we sort of butt our heads a lot is that he'd worked out strategically how to get to that person to get that end result. 
And I was always uncomfortable with those sorts of deals because right. you're really looking out for yourself first. But if you generally believe that that person has got some sort of value system similar to you, yeah. then show them that they're, you're good and you can do something to get them excited. And let's be friends. Let's see how this, how this could work out. I love doing it. I got chills thinking about it. I love doing that yeah. stuff. That's awesome. Well, okay, so here's your book, How to Catch a Shark. Yep. Uh, and you did this uh, with Kevin Harrington. How much did he actually contribute? Because Kevin really doesn't do much work. Well, he just... Kev, we actually, we had, <laughs> he, he did a, a story on, um, on Donald Trump when he was in Donald Trump's office and put a deal together. And he, we, we did a lot of work with um, recording. So we recorded and then sort of typed it. And then my beautiful wife over here and uh, a great dear friend of ours, Bonnie Crandall, um, edited the book and pieced it all together. And we've got our publisher, Tara, okay. Tara Richer, of course. But um, we had so much fun putting this together because Kevin and I have developed a, a really awesome relationship. And I think he vicariously lives through me a little bit now with yes. him being sort of on the straight and narrow. And, and I'll often <laughs> read him. Go, you have one for me, buddy. All right, you get out. <laughs> I'll get out there. But we've got, um, I think... He's got such a, not a lot of people know this, but he's got like a kid-like um, sense of humour. Oh, totally. And he's as funny as hell. So yeah. in even the most serious situations, and we're at a meeting, and I, I've got probably a little bit like he's sort of my attention span isn't that good. Yeah. So I'll just sort of sit there and send Kevin a text. Kevin will always read his phone no matter what meeting he's in. So I'll, I'll send him a text, something hilarious of, you know, who we were talking right now. You see him go... <laughs> but, but I think that's the type of thing you've got to do with relationships like that. When you're in a... You're there because you've said you would be, yep. but you don't really want to be there. And you've got to make light of the situation sometimes to really sort of get through it. Oh, to well, totally. I mean, I, one thing about, I can usually gauge the value of relationships, um, man and woman or friends or whatever, uh, just based on how much they laugh together. Right. If you see people that cannot laugh together, then there's, there's a good chance that they're probably not well, having really much fun. Well, that's really interesting. I've instantly got what you've just said, but I've never yeah. looked at it like that before. Yeah, well, you know, if, if you're at a restaurant and you see a couple that's just sitting there and they're just not really even talking to each other, and they don't, well, there could be times they're just arguing, but they're, they're, <laughs> for the most part, you can pretty much gauge that do they have fun together or not. Because you know, I have this thing I came up with years ago to try to describe... Uh, the marketing systems that I created that are robotic, you know, using a 24-hour free recorded message that uh, sifts, sorts, and screens people that want to get information about how to choose a carpet cleaner or how to use a sports supplement or, you know, pick a category is a far easier, more robotic way to get people information than doing face-to-face -face selling. So I started calling anything that would use replicatable Canon clonable sort of marketing systems as elf marketings. And I started to say you could have an elf business, which is easy, lucrative, and fun, or you can have a half business, which is hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating. <laughs> and so if you're going to go out and develop a business, you want to make it as elf as humanly possible. Now in my life, I actually look at human beings that way. Is this person easy, lucrative, and fun? Or is this person hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating? Or in some cases, hard, annoying, lucrative, and frustrating. Because right. not all money is created equal. Right. There's some money that is just painful. And there are some people to work with that they're just not fun to work with. And so kind of what you were saying to earlier, I, I've never approached relationships as, let me figure out what I'm going to get from this person. I mean, right. I don't ask anyone to do anything for me if I can't create value for them yeah, first. I and I really come from a try to be generous, try to be useful, be, uh, and, and I don't even say try. I, I actually believe yeah. I am. Yeah. You know, you just show up and you just are, are, are useful. And if, and if you cannot be, then don't show up. I mean, right. what, what, what reason do you have yeah. to do anything if you, if you can't bring that to the table? And so, and so I think part of you, because, I mean, the, the, the moment I first met you, you're just a very likable, very friendly guy. And that's, you Kids, know. Did you hear that? Yeah. 
So now again, they may experience something completely different than me. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the, the thing is that, that you, that's very hard to fake doing that consistently. Right. I mean, some people can, you know, they'll have their spill, they'll do that sort of stuff. But for the most part, you know, being a generous, caring, useful, value-creating individual is not a shtick. It's the sh- that's who you are, that's what you do. And if you adopt that as a way of life, I mean, that's how you d- d- develop things because uh, in the beginning, when you have not created any results, when you just have a dream and idea, the, you know, the thing you have to go on is just your, your caring, your enthusiasm, your wanting to be a contributor, and that's going to get you much further. You, you can read every negotiation book on the planet or read how to manipulate people, but that's going to be very short-lived. I mean, it really genuinely comes down to, you know, how how caring and how useful are you, and that's a a far better attribute and and, and way of being to to be and to develop than than anything else I've I've ever figured out. Oh, I really appreciate it. That's a very nice thing to say. I feel very... uh very good about myself right now. Good, good, good. Well, let's try to take that down okay. a little bit. So, no, okay. Uh, so, mistakes. I was going to ask you about mistakes. So, l- l- let me let me say it from this context. Well, let, me, let me just just jump in and say something really, really cool. So, when you talk about the enthousi- enthusiasm and the excitement that we have when we go to dinner as a family, it's yeah. honestly got it's so much fun. And when we're in we're in Phoenix, and we were sitting there at dinner, and this young bloke was on his own. You see, and he kept looking over. It was sort of like a fence between us. Not a fence, but you know, like an, an area. Uh-huh. And he kept sort of looking over and smiling. I thought. Mate, what's going on? What are you sitting by yourself for? He said, oh, I've just come down from um, Illinois and I'm, I'm just sort of sitting here having dinner. On your own? Yeah, I'm, I'm here in, in Phoenix. I'm like, come over here. Come on. Come and have dinner with us. Come on. Come and sit down. So he sat down next to Rachel. It was um, Easter Sunday and he, he was a guy that maps areas and his name was John. Rachel's got the funniest sense of humour ever. So she's nicknamed him John the Maptist. So, oh. now his name, <laughs> so now he's John the Baptist. And I said, do you drink? I said, why don't we have a couple of bourbons together and celebrate, you know, Sunday? He said, yeah, let's have a couple. So we had about four, I think, or something like that. Wow. And he just said, I've never experienced something like this before. For you to bring me in and be on my own. And we've been texting backwards and forwards since, since we've actually met him. But just to be in that of him wanting to be a part of something that's just so exciting, I could feel that he w- was on his own. And then for him to be accepted in that sort of situation, yeah. just, that sort of stuff just blows my mind. No, that's great. You know, let me say this too, because uh, I've uh, a lot of people that listen to this sort of stuff, they go to seminars, they read a lot of books, and they're out there. And, w- and most people that go to learning events or, or entrepreneurs that travel, they, they travel alone. Uh, and many of them are actually lonely individuals. I mean, being an entrepreneur at times is, can be very isolating. And when I've done seminars, I would ask the audience, you know, how many of you are introverts? How many of you are extroverts? And, you know, the, the extroverts would raise their hands much higher than the introverts. And I would say, how many of you would be offended if someone came up and, and said hello to you and no one would raise their hand? How many of you, uh, you know, would like to meet someone new this week? You know, a whole bunch of hands go up. And I'm like, okay, when you see someone by themselves or eating, go up and say hello. And, it, and I would do my best because, see, I was that way. I was very shy and very introverted growing up. I never thought I could ever publicly speak. I mean, I remember the first time I heard my voice in a recording, it was on a cassette tape. I'd be like, I can never do an interview like this. I mean, I sound like an idiot. And now I do this crap all day long, right? But it's, it's, it's almost like getting over the sort of fear. But when you, when you see people and you reach out to them like that, it's, it, it, not only does it make them feel good, but it also allows you to continually develop your relationship building skills. Oh. When you take someone who you, you don't know who this person is, you whatever, and just interacting with well, them. Well, what about a, these kids? Like... Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, you know, the, Isabella's just turned 13, but they were 12, 11, and 10 not that yeah. long ago. But they're seeing their parents do that. They're seeing their parents actually bring somebody, bring a stranger in, 
engaged them and it, it turned into an awesome night and he laughed his head off the whole time. But they're seeing that at that age. I mean, that's yeah. just a wonderful thing. That I think that's a great contribution that, that we bring to the table for the, the generation coming through. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the, the thing I want to ask you about mistakes is that uh, not only in the beginning, love to hear any ideas that you have and mistakes that you think people make so that they can avoid them, uh, but also when you went through the crash, you had built up something very successful and then it falls apart. And then yeah. how do you not only deal with franchisors and different individuals whenever like things just start crumbling down around you know, a, a business that you have developed and that employs people and that sort of stuff? I mean, how do, Well, um, we'd sold Hydrodog... Um, Australia before the crash. That actually mm-hmm. cashed us up to go into property um, developing, which we'd never done before. Yeah. But that's what you tend to do when you make a bucket load of cash. You want to go into a huge, big, $100 million Ramada <laughs> resort and you know, get twice mates. So anyway, that's, that, that's the biggest mistake. Never go outside of what you know. If it's taken you seven years to learn a craft, don't jump straight into something brand new you know nothing about. Right. And that was, that was the biggest mistake that we made is that we went out way outside of our comfort zone. We, we were just, we had property developers and we had project managers and we're thinking, shit, they're going to do all the work and we'll just sort of sit back, but totally lost control of what we're doing. Still good with people, but we didn't understand the business. Right. And that's really something, if, if I can reiterate to anybody, when you get that success, jump in something that's parallel to it or, or even something that you even enjoy doing, more of a, a hobby that you could um, become better at and do it for another seven years or however long it takes. Right. I mean, with you know jumping into what we're doing with the tour, we've never done that before. We've been finding our feet, but we still know our business structure of all these years of what we've done right that's yeah. helping us now do it. I'm washing dogs again. I'm getting in there and actually washing dogs with the kids. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I'm thinking, shit, I'm going back to where it all started from. Right. But I think the biggest mistakes is definitely, that's the first one. The second one is getting into business with the wrong people. Right. That that's That is the number one problem. And I look at it like this is, you, it's almost dancing with the devil. You know this person's got money. Your gut tells you that he's the wrong person to do business with, but you're like, if I don't get the money, the business is not going to work. I, I need the money. So people chase the money in the beginning. And I guess you, if you're young enough, you don't understand that principle. Right. You think, I'll just get the money and I'll deal with that personality later. <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. If they want a return on their investment or they're a really hard business partner to deal with, then all of a sudden the conflict starts and you lose your passion and you don't want to do it anymore and... You know, shit falls down, so you've got to, got to pick the right partner. So my, my real big thing is this, and it's just a very quick story. When I met this lovely lady over here, first time she met all my friends, and she's gone, great guy. Oh, what are you doing with him? Not sure. He, he's just following you after your money. I think, how do you know? How do you know this stuff? I, I, I wouldn't even know for a million years how to read people. Uh, so after we had kids, it went through the roof. It, whatever happens from a woman from having intuition to knowing everything about everybody after they have kids is just some sort of chemical brilliance that takes place. <laughs> um, you get away with nothing, I'm telling you. Right. So I thought, I want a piece of this. So I started to ask embarrassing questions, putting myself in compromising positions, just really being painful at most of the times. And, and Rachel will tell you, there's, there's some crazy stories out there of just, what, I want the information on why you are that particular way. So I, start, I read a book, can't even remember what it was, it was about four, four types of personalities. I ended up having... 21. So I'd have these little baskets. Talk about massive memory recall. My memory got so good, I'd put someone's memory in that basket and that one, and up with about 21 of them. So over that period of time, I'd sit down and talk to someone and sort of say something like, how did you know that? It was, well, I just spoke to a bloke like you down the road last week. So I started to get a little bit of influence. And there was a lot, lot to do with that real understanding of 
people's way of thinking. I, I can't explain it, but it would it work for me. So basically, what you're saying is you just understood uh, and, and studied how to gauge and learn people and show signs of whatever how they. So sometimes you get one of those people like us that you've never sort of you don't know where basket to put yeah, it. Yeah, they're just so strange. Yeah, you just don't. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big basket. So it started to work for me, and people were really interacting with me because obviously. Um, I, I love being around people. So the personality starts and a couple of drinks, this sort of personality goes, you know, times 10 and everyone sort of wants to, you know, get engaged. Right. And then just starting to work out how it is and you have much more of a centred conversation because you're talking to them now rather than just having a conversation. So those relationships that started to build like that then became, like, for example, someone like Kevin Harrington, I mean, he, have you ever seen him in a networking event? He, he would just talk to every oh, single yeah. person in the whole wide room. He's just, just incredible. But... He's, he seriously has a huge wall around him of getting to him personally, like everyone does. Right. But it's hard to get in. And to be that close to a guy like that, it's all happened because there was a personal interest in someone that I really cared enough about, but I actually have a little bit of knowledge. It's been 20 years now since it started, and I really feel that I can know people well enough to engage and be present. And I think that's the biggest thing. If you're present with someone, and um, I guess Rachel can also back this up, living in the moment for me is really important. When we broke down um, in... Lord Lordsburg, which is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I don't know if you know where Lordsburg well, I've, is. I've been there before because I went to college in New Mexico for a couple of years, never got a degree in anything, and I used to live in Demi, New Mexico, <laughs> Las Cruces, New Mexico. So we went, that's where we went to Las Cruces. We had to drive two hours backwards for where the RV actually got fixed. Wow. Okay. So on that day, it could have been, we'll meet you the next morning. It could have been a diabolical situation. So I just put myself in the moment, and Austin ended up jumping into his first semi-trailer, turned the, car, turned the truck on, and he's sitting in the front seat, and the guy was so great, and he was showing Austin how to do things, and the girls were working on the trucks. It turned into an awesome day. It was one of the best days in the middle of nowhere doing nothing, but if I wasn't present and being in the moment, it would have been a disastrous day. It right. would have been such a shitty day. It would have been unreal. And I think that's the key, being really personal, but also being present. When you're having a conversation with somebody, just be there. Then that, that does magnitude these days, because everyone's always busy, you know, outside. They think that people think they can multitask. They say, no, no, I'm listening. I'm listening to you. But they don't. Oh, I stop talking to people when they're on their cell phones or whatever because I want to let them finish what it is they're doing because even if I try to continue to talk to them, they're like, no, I can hear what you're saying. I can hear. It's like, no, no. You, all you can hear is mumbling, but you're not comprehending anything that's Mate, being we're said. we're on the same page with that 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because I know for myself, if someone's trying to talk to me and I'm trying to do I'm like, I can't pay attention to two things. So people that, so, but you're, you're right though. I mean, being, becoming a skilled in communication and studying that is incredibly useful. Becoming a communication expert, I think, is important. You know, coming from the world of marketing, marketing is pretty much what you say and who you say it to. It's all about communication. It's all about making a connection. And people ask me all the time, you know, well, how do you do it? Well, like anything else, you, you learn it. I mean, anything worth doing well is worth doing poorly in the beginning. Now, if you keep doing it poorly, you're probably not set out to do that. So I'm not a big believer in, you know, get strong at the things you're weak at. Right. Because like my friend Dan Sullivan says, if you spend your life strengthening your weaknesses, at the end of your life, you have a lot of really strong weaknesses. So I'm a real, <laughs> like big, yeah, I'm a real big believer in, like, whatever you have a propensity to get good at, do that. But learning how to interact with other humans is critical Oh. as getting through life, learning how to sell, learning how, you know, I mean, those, those are all the most important skills. The technical skills of something are far easier to learn than just, you know, becoming a communications expert. And I so. think the secret is that you've got to love it and you've got to really love people because there's yeah. too many people that 
don't like people very much. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm in a world right now where people love their dogs more than they love people. And I, I get it because yeah. I, I didn't understand to begin with, every single person that comes in to get their dog washed tells us about their rescue story. And they're passionate about it. Oh, he's a rescue? Oh, yeah, let me tell you. We found him on the side of the road and he had one ear bitten off. And, you know, look, it, it, everyone's passionately engaged. And I've learnt that it's the unconditional love that the dogs are giving these people that whatever their family upbringing or relationships are with their colleagues at work, whatever, they don't get the unconditional love. But this little dog that they've got, they get the unconditional love. So they're putting everything and all their energy into that and tolerating the rest of society right. is what I really feel is going on with this particular area. Well, so um, what have you learned being around all these dogs <laughs> about, uh, about caring for yourself, caring for others? I mean, there's got to be so many lessons that have come from this that most people would never even think ha has happened. I mean, you, you've probably gotten bit by dogs, I imagine. I've never been bitten. Never. That. And let me, let me tell you why. People often say, I, I don't believe that's true. So you've got to remember, I washed dogs for seven years, had the franchise for, um, what, 13 years, and then now we're back into it again, is that when a dog goes from its environment into yours, it's not protecting your environment. It's, if you go into their environment, there's a big chance that you get bit if you were washing a dog in their environment. So first and foremost, it's coming into yours. So okay. it takes away the elimination. Now they're more worried about being scared rather than being protective. So that's the first thing it eliminates. And the second one is people that have got those really vicious dogs don't bring them to get washed. They don't want to be embarrassed and have this big dangerous dog coming in there knowing that they're going to bite you, especially here if they're going to get sued if they, they bite you. So it just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't happen. It just wow. doesn't happen. So what do you, uh, what do you think that animals actually do for people. I mean, here you are on this mission with, uh, you know, bathe to, to save, and you want to save all these dogs. Uh, it's one thing about saving the life of a dog, but there's something way beyond oh. what dogs represent and what they do for people. At the, so what is it? I, th I think it, it ends up boiling down to the human element. I've actually thought about this myself, because on the surface, it's about saving the dog's life. But when you save that dog, doesn't it go to a family and be a part of a family environment? So really, in the end, it ends up being that communication skill, again, of wanting to connect with the human on the other side. And the dog pretty much is the conduit. That's how I've sort of seen it. But I think from the people that are living in this world, it's really about saving that dog's life. But they don't understand that it goes to a... Well, I guess they understand. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're naive. But it really ends up helping another human being at the end of the day. So really, it's all that connection on the outside. That's why we do it all at the end. Even if it's a subconscious level, that's why we're doing it. Yeah, so you have three rabbits in your RV. Oh, God, we don't what, start what, with that. Like, uh, what, what's the story on that? Why do you have rabbits? All right, so when we were over here, we, we said to the kids that, you know, they wanted a dog all, all the way through. And we are in uh, a couple of beautiful homes that just really wasn't right for... And, and I'm going to have to put this down to your fault, sweetie. I'm sorry, but it was Aria's youngest daughter's... Um, we celebrate our half birthdays. We call them a celebration day. So when you're six months older, we have just the five of us, we call it a celebration day. Okay. So we, we go to the pet shop and there's this little rabbit. The kids are wanting this rabbit. And Ray said, oh, it'd be so cute. Let's just get a rabbit. So I really don't want to get a rabbit. It's so small. We'll put it in a cage. So we get the rabbit. Then about two weeks later, was it two weeks later? How long afterwards was it? Oh, was it? So I don't know. I think Rachel might have had a couple of wines, to be honest. I don't want to throw you under the bus, but we get, <laughs> we get down to the, the pet shop and there just happens to be a male rabbit there. And she's like, wouldn't it be great just to have these little tiny rabbits running around and we can sell them and the kids can make a little bit of money and it can teach them entrepreneurial skills. She totally sucked me and I thought, all right, let's give it a go. <laughs> so we get these two rabbits and they had eight babies. So we have all these rabbits jumping around 
the house this right. whole time, and they totally fell in love with the the two rabbits. Like really, honestly, just the because they haven't been outside of our family. You remember we're in America with no extended family, so right, right, right. Their little family, and long and short of they rabbits ended up having three litters, and uh, <laughs> we've now got the mother, the first <laughs> the first litter child, and then the third litter child, the son. Yeah. And you just can't separate. This can become a zoo. You're going to become the mobile zoo. Yes, yes. I think that's how we're going to be. This known. is like uh, God um, Noah's Ark or something. But it's going to be like <laughs> Anthony's Ark. It's going to have every animal, and you're going to wash oh them along God. the way. <laughs> and we got and we got our dog. We got our little our little bubbles. Our rescue dog as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, and the three kids and the wife and. It's, uh, I'm just known as the bus driver, mate. I just drive the bus. That's yeah. all I do. But you know what? Though? It's, 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 a very, it's a fascinating life that you, know, that, that you signed up for and that you do, but it's, it's kind of cool. So where are we going to see you in like three years? Um, our, our, well, right now we're involved in a stack of companies. There's almost like 21 companies and 35 different business partners. And, we're yeah. all, and what's great is it's all been leveraged. There's just one business that I've working with a partner of mine, I've got to get sort of back on track, but all the others are great and they're all sort of coming to the market at the same time. Um, we'd love to sort of live in America and Australia six months of the year sort of thing yeah. so we can sort of go back and still have that cultural connection and come over here. It doesn't mean it's six months, it's six months, like two months here and two months here. Ultimately, we'd love to do that collectively and run our companies and be a, be a part of it all together. Well, here's, here's the thing, because uh, I'd like to get your perspective on this, because most people are not going to be traveling around the country, especially a country that's not even their, you know, primary <laughs> residence. Uh, but you're you're doing this. I mean, it reminded me of I can't remember the guy's name where he had taken his uh, three kids. It's very very interesting because I, I I thought of this when I, uh, you know, saw you this morning with your with your whole family, and it it was uh, they went sailing for like almost a year. I think it was like nine months. And they had to, you know, homeschool their kids. Uh, I guess boat schooling them, or what, what, <laughs> right. was what you would call, because they're on a, they're literally on a boat uh, and traveling, you know, just all around the world uh, in a sailboat. And the first couple of months, they said the kids would just argue and they were bored out of their mind. But then after a couple of months, they would start reading and they started getting along and they they just started doing things that were different uh, than anything that they had ever done before. And, they, you know, in the, in the beginning, the kids thought they would absolutely hate it. But after this was all done, they became more grounded. They became more peaceful. And it, like, because I'd spoken to this person, you know, many years after they, this had happened. And so the kids right. were much older and everything. But it was just something about getting away from modern life in the way that they're used to it. And so I, I think the thing that's most interesting uh, to me about what it is you're doing is how this totally shakes up your conditioning. I mean, oh, you know. God, talk about getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Seriously, the, the transition periods, I, I actually spoke in front of um, 60 entrepreneurs just the last time before we went back to Australia, because we go back a couple of times a year. And um, he said, tell everybody about what it's like taking risks. I said, I don't, I don't see myself taking a risk. I had a big blue dog, that wasn't a risk. You know, going around the country, are you kidding me? This shit isn't going to work? That's not a risk. It's getting out of your comfort zone. Going from Australia, our, our home forever. I'm such a patriotic Australian like you wouldn't believe. Right. I think I speak more Australian being here in America than I do actually back, back in Australia, just to keep <laughs> that authenticity. I mean, I, I love it so much. love interacting with you guys. So coming over there, that was so uncomfortable, knowing that we didn't know what we didn't know, but I just knew it was going to work. Yeah. That wasn't a risk. Yeah. I was fucking frightened as fuck. How was it going to... How's it going to work? We didn't know what to do. It. So getting out of your comfort zone was, is the biggest thing. 
And then when we go from, we get it all back and we're successful again and whatever you define success. And then giving all that up and going into a 200 square foot RV, that was so uncomfortable. That transition was so difficult, it was unreal. But now we're on the other side of it. It is unbelievable. It is right. so much fun. And the kids, they've just grown to a level of, like if you interact with these guys, they can speak to anybody on a level of just great um, sense of awareness. They can talk yeah. to adults. Like adult, they talk, they've picked up so many incredible skills listening to my negotiating deals. Like even when we went to, oh my God, we went to LA, uh, to Vegas. And you've got to remember, parking this 60-foot train is very difficult to, we can't reverse it and we can't do a short U-turn. So we can only go straight or a big area. So we're looking for a huge car park. On the Vegas Strip, we find one. We go into this particular um, car park. The guy comes over and he says, I said, oh, it's $10. It says $10 on the side. $10? This is like $50. Look how big this thing is. I said, well, how much is it going to be? Um, $30. I said, how about $20? All right, 20. But, <laughs> but the reason that I do that, I'll just show the kids that a price that's sort of set forward, there's always that negotiating yes, room. And if it's yes. stuck, then it's stuck. But at yeah. least you ask the question. What do I always say to your kids if you don't ask? So those those things are just <laughs> oh we should we should actually show them a couple of things that we um, that we know together yeah, um, and what we, we found this great car park right in the middle of the strip Isabella did a video we were behind M MGM Grand, the Aria building New York New York, what was the other one Monte Carlo, Monte Carlo right yeah. on the strip and at night time the lights were just up for twenty bucks a night I oh, know okay, obviously we've got a nice coach but for twenty bucks a night in Vegas you can sit in the car park and we stayed there for two nights. That's fantastic. Unbelievable. They're the little things that are, that are just something awesome to take away from. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So what are a few of the business, uh, best business lessons that you've discovered over your career? Um, I think having great partnerships. So, so I'm, not a, I'm not an employee guy. I don't, I don't want to have sort of a, a bunch of employees working in the business. That, that's sort of not me. I, I love yeah. having... Um, the entrepreneur to entrepreneur being business partners together so we can actually bring all our best angles to the game and own it together. Right. So as long as I've got like control most of the time in my companies that I can be the decision maker. So I'm the one that's loud and proud that's going to make it work. I don't want to be stuck at a board and went, all right, Anthony's got these things on the, on the agenda. We're going, that doesn't work for me. I, I, I might be out here right now just at, um, you know, at lunch. Bang, pull the deal off. Guys, you're not going to believe what I've pulled off today. Yay! Rather than, oh, guys, listen, I've got a great opportunity for you. This is what could happen. By that time, that guy's gone and done another deal. As long as I've got that control, yeah. then everything's great. But I think it's more about partnerships with me because if you own the company wholly and solely on your own, then you celebrate the wins on your own and you go through the bad times on your own. But if you've got three or four or five different business partners together, yeah. my God, the celebration of success together is just magnanimous. You know what's interesting about that? Because I've heard completely opposite views. You know, some people love... Um, partnerships others like they don't want to be partners at all so it's it's the, the the big takeaway that I got from what you just said is that knowing what your wheelhouse is you know knowing where your boundaries are and what you're really good at and if you if you're not good at something going and finding someone else that has those capabilities or congruent I have to be congruent if I'm not congruent I just won't won't even contemplate the opportunity yeah well and plus you said earlier about the gut feeling going into relationships like yes. uh, Every time that I have ignored that, whatever you call it, intuition, you know, that gut feeling, the thought, you know, I mean, it expresses itself in many different ways, but 
whenever you get a sense that this is not a good deal, you should probably pay attention to that. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that 100%. Sorry, I look like I'm going to sneeze here, so I keep grabbing my nose. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe there's something happening that's telling me, yes, that is a sign. You know? So what, what is the mission of the, the Bathe to Save tour that you're doing, and how can people donate and contribute to it? Okay, so... Um, the objective is to, for the next 18 months, we're going to visit, we've actually visited like six or seven states already, but we've been finding our feet. As I said, brand new industry, knew nothing about it, wanted to get in and just before we even started, let's at least find out what partnerships we need and you know what products and all, all that. So we've, we've nailed that, we've actually nailed it. So we're officially starting on the 7th of May and what we're doing is we want to raise a million dollars, save over 25,000 dogs and go to every single state. Even Hawaii, we've worked out how to get the dog on a barge over to Hawaii. We can't take wow. the RV. The RV's like 15 grand, that's just crazy. So we're gonna take the dog over there and, and maybe just have a week off while we're in Hawaii, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but, and that's really what we're, we're going out to do. Now on the back end of that, um, after that period of time, we're going to be selling our franchises, which is Hydra Dog, but this is, this is what we're 100% so solid about. Purchasing a franchise is a big thing with us, and we want the legacy of the bathe to save with what we've done saving all these dogs' lives, that a franchise owner-operator, one day a week, part of the agreement's got to go to a shelter, wash dogs, raise awareness for animal adoption, one day a month. That's all we're asking, one day a month. But if you get up to the hundreds like we had in Australia, or even to the thousands with how big America is, we're going to have a huge impact long-term with this whole culture that we're creating with the business. So that's really the objective. But... We've been self-funding just to make sure we got it right. We didn't want anybody to come in until we knew we got it right. right. And now we're getting ready to do some big sponsorship deals where people can come on and get national exposure for the next year and a half and be close with us. You know, especially with me getting excited about the sponsors, I would just do whatever it takes to get their brand so recognised throughout the country. And that's really what the, the next objective is to do that. Okay, and so the website for that is bathed, B-A-T-H-E, yep. to save. T-O-S-A-V-E.com. Yep, that's okay. correct. And they can get me through that, and I'll, I'll get back in touch with them straight away. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so in this book, yes. I have some questions here. How to Catch a Shark, you talk about different type of shark entrepreneurs uh, need to understand. So what are the different types of sharks, and what are the mindsets that entrepreneurs need to build relationships with the right you know, the right ones versus the wrong ones. Well, I think the, the biggest thing with um, the show Shark Tank completely changed everyone's mindset about what a shark was. Um, it sort of was one of those things where a shark came in and just, you know, bit your leg off and took everything they can off you. And I think now right. that, that's how Australia saw it. But it's more now to the point where you've got these really high successful investors. And, mate, you're a shark. You know, everyone's got that, that contribution of what they can bring to the table for somebody that's looking for something else. And if you're a a high player in your field, then you're pretty much one of those sharks. And the main differences are, if you're looking for money, then you know, you're obviously looking into the area of the great white shark, the one that's just gonna come in. If you don't pay that money back, or you don't get that return, you know, you're gone, we're gonna take your company, we're gonna dilute you, you know, that, that sort of type of thing. And um, uh, Kevin in particular, he's like the hammerhead shark, the social shark, the guy that's out there, he'll still bite you, but he's, that's not his intention. He wants to get around all other entrepreneurs and work at it. He's, he's such a, a deal maker, that guy. I've never seen a bloke hustle like he does. He is yeah. just incredible. I've learned a lot from, from that guy. Um, and um, the other big one is the whale shark. The whale shark is like a, the shark that is the weathered entrepreneur that's a lot older, that sort of is more graceful, that's at more at the... Um, philanthropic stage, if that right. makes any sense, that can actually come back on that particular level. And um, the, the last one's like the nurse shark. This is, this is the one that's sort of like the hybrid between the, um, 
the great white and the hammerhead, you, you can invest with them and they can still be a great social business partner. But what you've got to do is work out exactly what are you after. Are you after money? Are you after a partnership? Or are you after connections? And, and some of these guys like you have a Rolodex that just blows people's mind. I mean, I've been there with Kevin and said, the relationship that we've got this, Kevin will open up the door, as he said, a window, and I'll jump in and I'll just ravish that relationship if I'm congruent and, and want to be a friend with that person. That's, that's my yeah. MO. I love it so much. Whereas Kevin's more on the side of just he's, he's friends with everybody. I, right. I tell you a very quick story. He rings him up and he says, um, got to meet this guy, Tony. I've known him for 20 years. He wants to put this business model together. Sort him out and see what you think about him. Have the, loved his unbelievable business model and loved him. I thought he was fantastic. I said, Kevin, this guy's great. Well, I want to do a deal with this guy. Anyway, so we sit down at lunch and Tony brought Gary, his business partner, on there with Kevin. And, and I've been working with Tony this whole time. He said, well, what do you guys think is a fair deal? I said, Tony, uh, 20, 20 and 40, 40. So you guys get 60, we get, we get 40. Deal. Shook me hand straight away. Holy smokes, I think I could have got a bit more out of that. He said, no, this is a great deal. We were talking about the same thing. So as we're walking out the door, Kevin jumps on my back and says, are you kidding me? 20%? I was expecting five. I said, but I see the value of what we're bringing to the table. It's sort right. of like he's, he's got such a drive of better equity because rather than just being a brand or an influencer, if he can be a part of those um, conversations and making the business better, that's where his real speciality is, you know? Right. So then he, then he rings a couple of months later and says, got this guy, you've got to meet, um, I think his name was Peter or someone. And I just, oh my God, it was like, geez, you know, how many fingers I've got left? I just felt really awkward of having this conversation. Kevin, I'm really sorry, I'm not congruent with this guy. Screw your congruency, screw your congruency, get the deal done, come on, it's a great deal. I said, no, I'll be the one working with this guy. I'm not wanting to do this deal whatsoever. So I think that's when you get to a point of those relationships with the shark that can open the Rolodex, do the deals, and you, that's what I love about that relationship I've got with right. Kevin. But work out what that is. If it's money, then you go to somebody that's got money that they're going to be really hard on you on the return on investment. Yeah. And sometimes you end up working for the investor. Then you lose all your passion out of it. Oh, so yeah. So you've got to be really careful with that sort of stuff. No, no you're, you're absolutely right. And that's why I think um, what, I, what I see a mistake that a lot of people make is they go in trying to raise money because they don't know how to sell what it is they're selling. And they're hoping that if they get somehow some influx of cash, that along the way they're actually going to figure out how to actually <laughs> sell this. And that they don't realize is when it's someone else's money, they, like you said, you're, you're, in many cases you, no longer, you lose control yep. of your thing. You're now working for them. And if you lose their money, they're not going to probably be very happy about it. And they're probably not going to be very nice along the way. And they're going to be very demanding, and that will suck the entrepreneurial spirit out of you. So when you're going into something, I mean, I've never borrowed money. I've never wanted to. I've never had to. Now, there are situations where maybe in the future, because I never say never, you know, I have done you know, a recent crowdfunding campaign for Joe Volunteer, which I could have self-funded that myself, but we utilize that because we even wanted to use the crowdfunding to gauge the interest level of this, you know, it's right. like Uber for, for really volunteers. Cool and in it, in it, it very successfully, you know, has, we've learned a lot by, by just doing that. But for the most part, yeah, I mean, don't borrow money unless you really know what it is you're getting into because you're going to be beholden to those, yep. to those people. So since you have a lot of experience with franchises, if someone wanted to create a franchise, what do they need to know and what are the steps that they should take? Um, 
Well, the first thing is know your business. Like again, like us, we got in there and got our hands dirty and created, we, we manually did the work ourselves. So as long as you know your business from the ground level and you can, it's successful and you can duplicate it, uh -huh. don't just come up with an idea and say, I'm gonna franchise it, you know nothing about the business. Because when a franchisee comes in and says, God damn it, this stuff doesn't work. Whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a second. I did that for seven years. I know it works. If you go and do it this way, you've, you've got the upper hand on franchisees. Franchisees aren't employees. They're invested in the company. So you've got to treat them with respect that they've believed in you and your system. Right. And you've got to give them the experience you know. So as long as you know your business, then you've come in and you've created a business model that can be duplicated, then you work out who the team's going to be. Now, for me, I love to bring people in on, again as partners, as the expertise coming in. So we've got a team of experts. I've got an attorney that's a franchise attorney that's an equity partner. I've got a franchising consultant that's an equity partner. I've got a manufacturing that's an equity partner. And then I've got a, an ERP system partner. I've got every single angle covered in that, that business model. And that's how I was able to build the franchise. And through the franchise documents, that can be so goddamn expensive. Yeah. If you bring the attorney that's building the documents into your business, you can often get them in for equity so you don't have to put up that expense. Right. To start with, there's so many great ways. And Anybody wanting to franchise, I mean, I'd be more than happy just to steer them in the right direction with there's so many good people in this country to make a successful franchise. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Okay, so what that, we're not, that we haven't talked about yet, what are you working on now that has a lot of momentum and that you're most excited about that you've planned into your future, or are you 100% all into this? I'm 100% all into this right now. All the other companies and business partners I've got, they're working. We got that to a certain level that they're now just sort of taking care of those, but this is... My number one focus, I'm going to give it everything I've got to create this momentum for the franchise to, to come up and support what our cause is. And I think that's going to show the franchisees and, and also area reps with something an area rep program in this uh, franchise. They're going to see my commitment, and especially with the family. I mean, not too many lunatics would take their family and put them in a 200 square foot home and drive around the country for a year and a half. But that shows the extent of the brand awareness and the commitment to the, to the business model. Because I know that, look, We've got 200 franchises in a 20 million um, population. There's 365 million people in this country. It's a no-brainer to me, but I want to do it the right way and show that I'm prepared to get back on the tools again, wash dogs again, get out there and be like a franchise owner myself so yeah. people can say, wow, this guy's that committed to his business. He's getting out there and doing the dirty work. Yeah, gotcha. So what sort of rituals, if any, have you created when things are really tough? Like, so when, when you're having challenging days, I mean, you had, you know, your vehicle breakdown. I mean, what sort of, uh, and this is good advice for, and the reason I'm asking this question is that uh, some days you wake up and you're going to war as an entrepreneur. I mean, it's really tough. Yeah. You know, you don't feel good, but you gotta, you know, you may be sick and you have to get up and do the thing because you can't call in sick when you're the boss, no. right? And that sort of thing. So what sort of uh, rituals, advice, suggestions uh, have you uh, developed to deal with keeping your stamina up mentally, physically, uh, things with your relationships, uh, when your family, when things are really strainful? I mean, what, what are some of the things that you do that, that you have found that, that work? I, it's, it's very easy enough for me to say this now, but getting to this point of living in the moment is just, it is, it is so empowering because it puts you into a place of not dealing with anything right out of what you've got control over right now. And that's really what's, what's um, magnified into the, into the way that I think. Mm -hmm. So when it first started was, I used to have, um, you gotta remember, like I was in my 20s, so everyone's got that sort of testosterone and craziness going on, but um, I'd get really um, frustrated and angry fast. So I, I created this system where I had um, 
10 gratitude things, like 10 lines of gratitude I had in my back pocket. Uh -huh. So each time I felt that way, I'd read one of these gratitude lines and just sort of change the mindset a little bit. And then it got down to five, then it got down to two, got down to one. Then all of a sudden it was sort of happening away. And I remember Isabella saying to me, I think when she was about seven, I'm not a, a well, Isabella's gonna say I smacked her once, but I've never smacked my kids. Um, I've, I'm, a, I'm a yellow, rah, like that, just to sort of get the impact. But then as soon as it's done, <laughs> I'm back on fire again. And Isabella said one day, Dad, how do you do that? How do you get so angry and then you get back on fire so fast? I said, well, I'll look at it like this. Being on fire is going down the highway. You're on the highway. And then when you get angry, sad, or outside of being on fire, you go down on the off-ramp. You're actually off the off-ramp. The secret is don't get caught up in the neighbourhood. Get back on the on-ramp again as fast as you can. So my attitude is that if you can work out by being in that position of, of um, being disciplined with them, show them that once it's over, now you're back on fire again, and, and they understand that what they did was wrong, but now you haven't dragged it out, so it's an all-day thing. And Isabella was struggling to change her moods, if you like, but they've become so great with their mood changes. I mean... You know, she's 13, mood changes all the time now. Before I go to sleep every night, I, I say thank you and really put myself into one of those moments that really meant so much to me. And I fall asleep saying, saying thank you. Wow. But then in the morning when I wake up, I'm grateful. I say I'm, I'm so grateful for everything that's going to happen or what I do have, rather than the events that happened the day before, now it's going into what's going to happen today. So that's pretty much the platform of where I am. But when you were talking about being in a, in a situation that's stressful or whatever, I just get into that little place of right now saying, I have no control over that or that or that, and that's why I'm going to get through until I get to that. Then I have to make those decisions. I don't sort of prolong it to fuck me up. Right. I mean, mess me up. That's okay. <laughs> hey, look, at this point, uh, I'm just feel proud of myself. I haven't said a single profane word, but you have. It just makes me look like an angel here, which I'm, I'm really not. Uh, so where can people go to learn more about and get more involved with you? Because you obviously, you got the book, you got this yep. franchise, there's a bunch of cool stuff that you're doing, so... The book is How to Catch a Shark, Anthony Amos, A-M-O-S, uh, which is also the site too, right? HowToCatchShark.com. Yeah. yeah, so one of my real passions is, a little bit like yourself, I want to be able to sort of get back to the entrepreneur, and if they want to learn how to catch their own shark, I've got a business principle methodology that I work one-on-one -on -one to actually help them get to that. that that's really something I love to do, because one-on-one with people is a big thing for yeah. that. That knowledge that I've got over all of it, that just didn't happen since I came around. It's been the build-up of the 20 years I've been telling you, but... Meeting someone like Kevin Harrington, you know, I mean, if someone met you and all of a sudden you got this Rolodex, you wouldn't happen to know such a, oh, we just talking about this is what Kevin does. Honestly, uh, yeah, what about, yeah, give this guy a ring right now and you write the number down. Right. Kevin told me to give you a call. Holy smokes, now all of a sudden you're playing in a diff completely different level of business because you've got right. that trust from the person that recommended you. Yep. It, wor it works well. So, yeah. well, and, and also, as you, one of my favorite pieces of advice that I've, you know, people that listen to me, they hear me say this all the time. It's a quote I heard early on when I was growing up is, be nice to the people you meet on the, the way up. They're the same <laughs> people you meet on the way down. And you will come across people that five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, you will, you will run across people that you met very early on. And so the most important thing that you can do in your life is just be good. You know what it is? Never burn a bridge. Exactly. My, my two biggest things are you've got to burn the ships behind you like we did with Australia and then like we did moving from the home into the RV. Once you burn your ships, you've got nothing to go back to. So you have to be successful. But on the flip side, if you come across a relationship that you really feel like you could ruin it because of the ego, if you just don't burn any bridges with anybody, but still don't be treated like a doormat, right. but just don't, don't burn that bridge. You never know. If I had done that with the business partners I had with Hydrodog, I would have never been able to board it back the way that I brought it back. They, right. they came in and we did such a great deal together, 
because we never burn any bridges with each other. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. Which is great. So, is there anything that I should have asked you that I did not? Well, I'm gonna. I, yeah, I'm gonna. Do you want to put the camera here, or do I need to come over here? Well, bring the kids over here. Come we'll over here. Them, uh, You're gonna love this. Well, I'll have them. Uh, I'll have you introduce everyone. This is one of the daily things you do. When we're dropping off to school each day, we call it the family mantra. There's a couple of things I might forget, but we'll do our best. Well, we should be we should be videotaping this because they're all crawling under tables and stuff. <laughs> well, I'll get you. I'll gather around your dad. Come and stand behind me. Yeah. Okay. All right. You ready? Is everybody happy? Let your life free up. Who's on fire? I'm on fire. Whose day is it? My day. If you want to soar like an eagle? Turning around turkeys. If you follow the crowd? You always end up at the exit. Who's the best team in the world? Our family. Who's the best mummy? Mommy. Who's the best daddy? Daddy. Who's the best Bella? Bella. Who's the best Aussie? Austin. Who's the best Aria? Aria. Never ever? Give up. If you continue to do what you've always done, you'll continue to have? We always got. What's today? The greatest day in the world. And the moment? This moment. Yeah, what time is it? Now. Now, so that's sort of the first parcel, which is just awesome. But then we'd say, um, your smile is? Your logo. Your personality is? Your business card. And after you leave the room, what do you want to leave behind? Your trademark. So that, that one wow. to me is like huge, because once they sort of under... And a lot of this, this process that they have learnt, they didn't really understand and just starting to understand, but it's been in their system for so long, it's giving them a great foundation to really work with it. So the last thing I'd do before they leave is I'd kiss them three times and say, integrity... Courage, honour, proud because I'm an Amos. And then they'd walk off to school, and I'll tell you, this is when I reckon success is different to everyone else. Out of all the kids racing out of the car, embarrassed to get to the school, they'd all turn around at the same time, and they'd wave goodbye. It's like, oh, my God, what father has that gift of those kids wanting to do that after they get out of the car? But you've got to remember, when they get out of the car, we're all fired up and pumped up, and I go off and do my thing, they go and do their thing, and we're all just like in that little area of being in it together. That's great. So, yeah, so it's awesome. very, very cool. Hey? Oh, yeah, so the kids' notes, this is what I normally do when I speak. I talk about the seven habits of highly effective people. Who knows the book of highly effective people? Everybody puts their hand up. Who knows what they are? Few people put them up. Who can do from one to seven? Nobody puts their hand up. So if you kids want to kick off the seven habits, that'd be really cool. Ready? Go. Number one, be proactive. Number two, begin with the end in mind. Number three, put first things first. Number four, think win-win. Number five, seek first to understand and to be understood. Number six, energize. Number seven, sharpen the soul. Number eight, leave a legacy. <laughs> wow. Awesome. wow. They even got, got the eighth one too. Yeah, they got the eighth one. That's the one we threw in there. Wow. So that's big at the moment, leaving a legacy. I think everybody wants to have that yeah. opportunity to do that. Well, that was fantastic. You guys are doing awesome stuff. Thank, Thank you, man. you. I really appreciate it. So great doing Thank this you. episode. And appreciate it. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Joe Polish and Dean Jackson on I Love Marketing. Most of the episodes are based on Joe and Dean's eight profit activators to grow your business. Joe and Dean have put together a free report called Breakthrough DNA, eight profit activators you can trigger in your business right now. Visit ilovemarketing.com forward slash DNA to get instant access to that report and put the eight profit activators in place for your business today. Again, that's www.ilovemarketing.com forward slash DNA.